We just finished the Christmas season, a season where we celebrate and anticipate and prepare the arrival of God in flesh, Emmanuel, Jesus. And what's crazy and astonishing about Jesus's arrival here on earth and Jesus's ministry is that Jesus came not as a warrior, as a king, but as a servant as you and me in the same kind of flesh that we have. So the same is true for Jesus's followers. We are not to be people who are crazy rulers over the world, but people who live lives of service, lives with people, just as Jesus lived among us, Emmanuel, God with us. So today we get to talk about what it means to live lives of service, not as the greatest people, but as the least among people, people who serve. So today, hear now these words from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning with verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him, Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they replied, we are. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those to whom it has been prepared. When the other ten had heard this, they began to get angry with James and John. So Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, they rule it over them, and the great ones and tyrants over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be a slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Last month on Christmas Day, my daughter turned 16, and we are now currently in the whirlwind of preparing for her driver's test later this month. And through all of this, and seeing her excitement, and hearing her talk literally around the clock about turning 16 since the day she turned 15, I was reminded of myself at that age. You see, when I was 15, I was so excited to have my driver's license. I was looking around at all of my classmates and seeing all of the cool Jeeps and trucks that they were getting, and I convinced myself that when I turned 16, I was going to get a Humvee. That's right, one of those massive vehicles. You see, at the time, you could get your hands on one from a military surplus auction, and I just had it all figured out. When I turned 16, my dad was going to buy me one, and that's what I was going to drive. I started researching the auctions and dreaming of how awesome it would be to be driving the ultimate four-wheel drive vehicle to my school. And if all of that sounds ridiculous and hilarious, this is where it really gets cringy. I started to tell people about it, to the point that word got back to my dad. And so my dad, he sits me down and he says, son, I can't afford a Humvee. In fact, I'm not planning on buying you a car at all. We already have a car for you to drive. But this wasn't good enough for me. I refused to believe it, and I continued to convince myself that I was going to get that Humvee. And every time I would talk about it, my dad would remind me that he's not buying me a Humvee. He was telling me plainly that 16 was not going to look like what I thought it was going to look like. You know, church, I turned 16. I didn't get a Humvee. 
No, I got a blue 1989 Buick LeSabre, light years from the military surplus four-wheel drive dream that I had conjured up in my mind. I look back at that moment in my life and I laugh and I find myself embarrassed. I mean, my dad told me over and over again that it wasn't going to be like what I was imagining. Yet, I continued to see things my way. As I read this passage in the Gospel of Mark, I was reminded of my 16-year-old self and I found myself embarrassed for James and John. I mean, what a cringy thing to do. And to do it in front of the other disciples on top of that. Kind of like telling everyone I was going to get a Humvee. You see, James and John and the other ten disciples, they've been following Jesus for almost three years. And during this time, Jesus is walking and doing ministry within the parameters of the Roman Empire. Every day, they encounter the reality of what Roman authority and rule is like and, and what it means to live under it. And all the while, Jesus keeps talking about this new kingdom, the kingdom of God or, or the kingdom of heaven that he is establishing. It's within this framework that I'm sure James and John's imaginations began to swirl. What is this kingdom going to look like? What is it going to mean for the two of them and for those who had dropped everything and followed Jesus? Will they finally have power and authority here on this earth? Yet, time and time again, Jesus tells them what the kingdom is going to look like. In this chapter alone, he reminds them that you can only enter it as a little child and that it is extremely difficult for the rich to enter, and that it is a kingdom where the last will be first. And so when James and John ask this incredibly embarrassing question of Jesus, he doesn't rebuke them or chastise them. Instead, he recognizes that their excitement and their energy is in the right place. I mean, they are excited about this kingdom, and, and he has been speaking about it for some time. It was just a matter of their imaginations running wild. Jesus gently reminds them of what he has been saying over and over about the kingdom. And that the reality is that it's not like the Roman Empire they are so used to seeing. It's not a kingdom where authority and power looks like lording over top of others and, and being tyrannical. No, it is a kingdom where if you want to be great, you have to become a servant. And the first in this kingdom gets there by being a slave for all. Now, I am sure that the disciples are going to need to hear this a few more times before it fully sinks in. I mean, woven into Jesus' teachings about the kingdom were three predictions of his death. And that still, somehow or another, called his disciples off guard. You see, it seems to be a human tendency to hear something, but not really hear it, if you know what I mean. You know, when I look around at the church today and at Christians today, I can't help but wonder if we haven't allowed our imaginations to run wild, if perhaps we still hear without actually hearing, if, if perhaps we haven't defined greatness in God by how the world defines greatness. I mean, all I hear anymore is arguing over who is thinking and speaking correctly about God or who believes the right things and who isn't believing the right things. As if somehow our intellectual prowess will find us seated at the right and left hand of Jesus. We fight with one another and tear each other down. We justify divisions and separations based on some sort of righteous desire to be right and the sweet satisfaction of proving that they were wrong. I'm just going to say it. I think we've missed the point of God's kingdom. 
I think we are competing for these places of honor as if Jesus is going to reward us for how well we can articulate our rightness and their wrongness. I think we've fallen into the trap of imagining God's kingdom in our own image. And we've neglected to hear the words of Jesus. This weekend, as a nation, we pause and recognize the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., pastor, civil rights leader who literally gave his life for fighting for justice and equality for all human beings. On February 4th, 1968, he preached on this exact passage in Mark. And in his sermon, he recognized the shared human desire that we all have to be great. James and John wanted to be great in the eyes of God. And they imagined that greatness in earthly terms. Dr. King describes the desire in all of us to be great as the drum major instinct. The drum major is out front. They lead the band forward. They set the tempo and they engage with the crowd. Really, what Dr. King is talking about is that human ego we all share. You know, that drive within us to be liked, loved, and to be great. I love how he preaches this passage because in it, he finds a way to redeem, not condemn, that drum major instinct in all of us. Dr. King describes Jesus as redirecting James and John. Jesus doesn't condemn their desire to be great. No, instead, he redirects it for good. In fact, Dr. King says that Jesus gives them a new definition of greatness. I invite you to listen to his words now. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. By giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great. Because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't know you don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace. Soul generated by love. You can be that servant. You know, I think it's time that we pause and ask, how are we defining greatness? How are we seeing our lives in light of the kingdom of heaven? Are we passionately missing the mark? Are we hearing the words of Jesus but not actually hearing them? I'll never forget the moment in my life when I realized that I was missing the point. I had always known that we are to love one another, but I had reduced it down to a feeling or an emotion. And if I'm really honest, I had made it all about staying out of hell. If I had hate in my heart, it only hurt me. And so I really had defined Christian love based on my own understanding, which ironically enough, I had made love about serving my own self-interest. But I'll never forget preparing for a lesson on love as a young children's pastor. It was February, and so it just made sense to teach on love. But while I was studying the text, the, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and ears, and for the first time, I realized that love meant action. I couldn't love without showing it. I couldn't just say I loved. I had to actively love. Folks, we are called to love others, 
And we do this by serving them. We are not called to be right, not to defend God or fight for God. We are simply called to love through our actions to one another. But the beauty in it is that what seems to be weak and off-putting in our dog-eat-dog society is what makes us great in God's eyes. We can all excel. We can all feel that internal drum major instinct to be great, and we can do it by serving one another. This year at Gainesville First, we are committed to being known in our community by how we serve. We aren't looking to be defined by what we know and how we think. We want our community to know that we love them and God loves them. And we want them to know this by how we serve. Our vision for some time has been building bridges to Jesus. We are choosing to do this by serving those around us. You see, they see Jesus in us. They see how great God is in our lives, and they get a glimpse of God's kingdom whenever we commit ourselves to serving others. As the pastor of Outreach, I am excited at the opportunities God is giving us to serve. All of December, we looked at the kingdom bursting forth in Honduras, and we plan to be a part of that in July. Just this week, I sat down with Habitat for Humanity and learned of the various opportunities available for us to serve. In the church, the list goes on and on of opportunities where we can be building bridges to Jesus by serving. I want to invite you to join us in 2023 as we strive to be great. I want to invite you to join us as we serve Gainesville and beyond. I want to invite you to be great. And in order to do that, I want to invite you to serve. to the mountain because you asked me to up over the clouds to where the sky was blue I could see
peaceful valley just over the mountain the peaceful valley few come to know I may never get there ever in this lifetime but soon or later it's there A life of meaning and purpose comes in the service to others through the power of God's Spirit. As we walk with God, our eyes are opened to see people as God sees them and to want what God wants for ourselves, for others, and for the world. I'm so glad that you watched today, and I am grateful for your continued giving to this online ministry. If you would like to support Together What If or the ministries of Gainesville First United Methodist Church, you can go to gfumc.com give. And as always, you can help us build online bridges to Christ by liking and sharing this content. As we go through this week, may God bless you and show you where he wants you to share his presence. And let me invite you to honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. tomorrow, Monday, January 16th at St. John Baptist Church from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. I hope that you have a great week. See you next Sunday.